Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. As has been shared, um, Alan and Tracy are on mission. They're with our our team in Central Asia, and um, they are, it's our prayer that they're encouraging them and that they're having a good time. I'm trying to figure out what to do with this microphone, so, because it would be really bad if that thing rolls off and just, you know, hits the ground. Um, So we are praying for Alan and Tracy. I, I can tell you, church, one of the things that I believe from my heart is that uh, uh, I love hearing Dr. Price exposit the word. He is one of, if not the best preacher that I have ever sat under and served with. And we really, as a church, are blessed by God to have that and hear that week after week after week. Because, I I mean, I, I can't not tell you how many churches don't have that. He honors God, he holds the scripture in a high standard, and he preaches that to us. And I and Rachel both, we, that means a tremendous amount to us. Um, so this morning, we as a church are going to be in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. And I can tell you, uh, when I was in seminary, I was at, at Texas, I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, when I was studying there, I went to uh, Wedgwood Baptist on Saturday nights for worship, and then I would go and lead worship at my church uh, on Sunday morning. But every now and then, I wanted to go uh, sit and be a part of a congregation. And uh, Pastor Al Meredith was the pet pastor there. And when he would preach, he would do this thing where all of a sudden in the middle of his sermon, he would just start singing and the whole congregation would start singing with him. And I absolutely fell in love with that. And I asked him once, I said, why do you do that? And he said, well, when I was a seminarian, I went to a, a, a church of God, Assembly of God church, and the pastor started singing in the middle of that. And I thought, well, why can't Baptists do that? And I thought, well, why can't Baptists do that? So... In the middle of the sermon, I will start singing. And when I start singing, I want you to join with me. It's not a solo. It is a congregational effort, okay? Do we understand? Do we understand? All right. Will you sing with me? Thank you so much. I appreciate group participation. All right. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. When I read this passage, one of the things that instantly pops into my mind is, what do we do with trials and sufferings? And it is my contention that this passage teaches us the way that God enables us to cope and deal with through all trials, sufferings, and difficult situations. So throughout my years of ministry and listening to people, I've encountered the same thought over and over, the same question over and over. I'm living the best for the Lord. I know how. I'm living the best for the Lord that I know how. But I've given him my life. Why do I continue to suffer or deal with A, B, or C? I've been praying about A, B, or C, but nothing is changing. The problem of suffering is one we have to confront, not only when dealing with those who are non-believers, but it's something we have to confront and we have to reconcile in ourselves after salvation. I believe this passage is one that helps us address the question of how do we as believers cope with sufferings, trials, and hardships? We're going to look at the life of Horatio Spafford and take it as a character study and just uh, a, an example of how this was played out in his life, in, in a believer's life. Well, he lived in Lakeview, Chicago, uh, Spafford did, and he lived there in, during the late 1800s. And in the year of 1871, the great Chicago fire broke out. Now, Spafford was a very... Um, how would I say the word? He was a very successful lawyer, correct? And many of you may know this story. I, I'm sure you've heard it. But when the fire broke out, that fire hit Chicago. Approximately 300 people died in that fire. 3.3 square miles of the city was destroyed. More than 100,000 residents were left homeless. 220 million in damage was done. Now, back then, when you take into consideration inflation, that comes out to be uh, four $4,593,000,000 worth of damage was done. And in that fire, Horatio lost his law office. And uh, he stayed and helped residents of Chicago serving the community and providing welfare. But he had lost his main area and source of income. Um, and within that same time frame, his son, he had uh, one son and, and four daughters, uh, his son developed scarlet fever and died. And then, uh, so you have him losing his ability to provide for his family well. He lost his only son. And he was in a great deal of uh, mourning, 
He was dealing with this trial, and he was really good friends with D.L. Moody. Uh, At at this time, Horatio Spafford was the elder at a a very orthodox Presbyterian church, and uh, D.L. Moody reached out to Spafford uh, because he wanted to encourage him, and he invited Spafford to come to Europe where he was doing a series of revivals. And so Spafford takes his family, they're going to travel, they travel to New York, and then from New York, they're going to board a ship and go to London, and Spafford received a telegram where they were getting close to boarding the ship. And when he received that telegram, it told him to return to Chicago for a last minute work conflict that had arisen. Well, since this was his sole ability to provide for his family and he'd lost a majority of his, his uh, ability to provide in the fire, he decided that he needed to turn around, go back to Chicago, let his family go to New York. And so he sends them on their way while he goes and th- deals with work. Well, while his family travels, uh, Anna and their four daughters and their governess, Emma, and a, another family, close family couple, they all go to Europe. And at about 2 o'clock a.m. on the 22nd of November, 1873, in the eastern North Atlantic, the Via du Havre collided with the British iron clipper Loch Aaron. The Via du Havre sank in a mere 12 minutes. 226 people perished, including the four Spafford daughters. The Loch Aaron was seriously damaged, but nonetheless was able to take on board the 61 surviving passengers and the 29 surviving crew from the Via du Havre. Among the survivors were Anna Spafford and the governess Emma. The following day, the U.S. ship Tremontan reached the scene and the rescued Via de Havre passengers were transferred from the Loch Aaron to the Tremontan, which carried them to Wells, landing at Cardiff. From Cardiff, Anna Spafford on the 1st of December, so this happened on the 22nd of December. He doesn't know that any of this has really happened. On the 1st of December, Anna makes her way to a, telegra- uh, a telegraph, and she has a telegram cabled to her husband with the following message, saved alone, what shall I do? Mrs. Goodwin children, Willie Culver lost. Go with Laura until, which is Laura is Emma. Go, go with the governess until answer, question mark. Reply. How could anyone cope with this? How could anyone cope with the loss of their son, their ability to provide for their family, all of their daughters, close family friends. Let's see what Peter has to say about how, does, how God keeps us going in trials, sufferings, and difficult situations. It's my first point of contention, my first point, that God enables us to cope through trials, sufferings, and difficult situations by giving us praise and hope in Christ. Notice what Peter does when he's, con- con- he's talking to his audience here, who he knows is suffering. Verses 3, Peter focuses his readers upon the reality of their salvation as opposed to dwelling upon their current trials and sufferings. Verse 3, Peter praises God for their salvation. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He praises God 
not for what they're going through, but for what God has done. He focuses them upon the work of Christ. The second thing he does is he focuses upon the hope of the future that we have in Christ. Verses 4 through 5. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When we're dealing with trials, various trials, different hardships, the first thing we need to do is take our eyes off of what we're dealing with and place them upon Christ. Remembering the work that he did, the salvation that he has brought, and the hope that we have in him. Look at what Spafford did in verses 2 and 3. He starts off with, though Satan should buffet. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Spafford did the very thing that Peter is talking about here. Spafford praised God because of the hope that he had in spite of his situations. In trials, we should put our thoughts on God and what he has done instead of what we are currently enduring. Example. When you have a car wreck, the day after purchasing a new car, or you're in that car wreck, I mean, instead of thinking, looking at your car and how it's, how it's crumpled, you're alive. But you're not only physically alive, if you had been taken out, you would be with your Lord and your Savior. That is the only hope that we have to cling to in life and death. So, when thinking about what God has done, 
the next step we end up having is, the next problem we encounter is, why is he letting this happen? Well, I believe Peter addresses that with his sec- the second point here. God enables us to cope with all trials, sufferings, and difficult situations by telling us why they have come. He's, he's not left us without giving us a reason why we're going through this stuff. It, it's not this great enigma. We may not always like the answer, but we are given an answer. The first thing I want you to notice, though, here in verse 6, is that Peter does not diminish the situation that these readers are going through. And thereby, he confirms the difficulty of life circumstances. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He doesn't diminish it. He doesn't tell them to get over it. This is just life. He recognizes it. Know now, beloved, God does not diminish what you are going through or what you will go through. Christ himself hates the pain that is caused by the corruption of sin in this world. In John eleven thirty three through 35, we have this written. When Jesus saw her crying, talking about Mary when he's, he's gone to Lazarus in the tomb, When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry. He was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept tears of anger. I I believe that 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 word there, when you begin to look at the Greek, I I believe that the inflection there points you towards the fact that he's not weeping because Lazarus is dead. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus. He is angry at the suffering that has been brought into the world by the sin of mankind. That is his purpose in coming. He came so that he would free us from sin. And we have been freed from that sin. We have been restored in a right relationship with the Lord. But we still must walk through this life until Christ returns, dealing with the suffering of our sin nature that's in a constant battle with our spirit, dealing with the sin nature and the the corruption of the world. But we have a sympathetic Savior. See, his tears were not just tears of anger, but tears of empathy. And he came to correct that. Likewise, when we are ministering to others, we don't need to diminish what they're going through. We don't need to to offer them platitudes, uh, Christian platitudes and cliches to try to ease the awkwardness of our situation. That's the only reason we offer those cliches and platitudes. We don't do it because we're really trying to soothe them. We're trying to, to, to offset the awkwardness that we feel sitting with them. And sometimes we need to take a lesson from the friend of Job who kept his mouth shut. And he did a really good job until he opened his mouth. And that's when he became a poor friend. But he was a good friend when he sat with his brother and just mourned. 
That's what we're supposed to do when someone's going through trials and tribulations. We, we don't need to say stuff like, when God closes a door, he opens a window. That doesn't help. You're never more safe than when you're in God's will. Okay. This is true. But how about the martyrs? They were never more safe than when they were in the will of God. But that will of God led to the taking of their life. Their spirit was never more safe, but that doesn't diminish the suffering. So it, it, it doesn't help for us to offer these. Instead, we need to apply the scripture of Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When someone's going through a difficult trial situation, our job is to weep with them. One of my uh, favorite movies uh, it has been since I was a teenager, still Magnolias, okay? I can't help it. It just cracks me up. Um, and there's this whole scene when the daughter had, had passed away and Sally Fields is, is, she's crying. And I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a really emotional scene. And she's just weeping and, and she's in the midst of her, her mourning. So she was, she's angry and her friends are standing around her. They've got tears coming down their, their faces. Dolly Parton, who I absolutely love, is there. And, and, and she's got tears coming down her face. And uh, uh, they're, they're crying. And she just, I just, I just want to hit something. And then Olivia Dukakis, she grabs uh, Weeza. And she goes, here, hit Weeza. And it's in the midst of tears. She, she's, they're crying together. But then, you know, Olivia Dukakis offers up her friend to be slapped. And, and, and Weeza's like, oh, what are you doing? Um, you know. But they're, they're, they're being empathetic. They're showing love. And that's what we're called to do. And then, after he doesn't diminish what they're going through, he tells them why they're going through it. Verses 7 through 9. So that the tested genuineness of your faith you're going through these trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, your faith, which is more precious than gold, gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, so that this faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, to prove the faith is genuine. We go through trials as believers to result, we go through the trials so that they will result in the praise, honor, and glory of Christ. And it results in the praise, honor of Christ because we're given the opportunity to demonstrate to the world that our faith, that this is the faith, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life. We're given the opportunity to prove that, that the faith is genuine that it is the only way to the Father. Spafford wrote it as well when they were going over the, the, the area of the sea where the ship sank. 
They called him up from the cabin and told him, we are now passing across the area where the ship went down. And he knew that he was going over the grave of his daughters. He goes downstairs and he pins the first verse. Pull up the first verse, please. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Now stop. When, stop. when, when sorrows like what? Sea billows roll. When sorrows like waves that took down his daughter's role. Take it from the beginning of that verse again. When peace. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea pillows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul. shown that although we indeed do have these trials, that these trials reveal Christ when our faith is proven genuine. I know you can think of people in your life that have gone through suffering. I think of uh, a dear friend in Texas. His name was Ronnie Porter. He was a, a fire chief in the city that we lived in. He went to our church. He was one of, he, he was my best friend at that church. And uh, he, he loved Still Magnolias too. He was in his 70s. He'd come over, he and his wife would come over to our house. We didn't have kids at that point. We'd play dominoes with Ronnie and Betty. And uh, um, I had, the, the church in Missouri had contacted me and they had started talking to me. And uh, Ronnie had developed liver cancer that had come from, um, uh, well, from a fatty liver, it just had developed into liver cancer. And I remember, uh, I've never seen anyone, I had never seen anyone up until that point approach death with such dignity and peace and calm. Everyone he'd speak to, they would be weeping because they knew he was dying. There, it, was, it was terminal. And Ronnie spent his time soothing them, telling them about the goodness of Christ and, and the fact that he had no fear, that he knew that this was his end and that he knew whose hands he belonged to and he shared his faith. And he went out in a way that honored the Lord. There was another to come to mind is um, 
our secretary in Missouri, her name was Pam. Uh, about three years ago, she developed pancreatic cancer. And when she began to, uh, when the, the cancer had moved to being in a terminal state, uh, she was known for going to the chemo treatment center and she was probably getting her chemo. She would share the gospel and just talk uh, to the nurses. She talked to the people around her. And one of the, the nurses came to her funeral and they said uh, they had never encountered somebody who had such peace and who shared their faith, improved their faith. Now, that does not mean that Ronnie and Pam didn't have bad days. I'm not elevating them up to like this sainthood. I know they both struggled, but they always rose to, sh to prove their faith genuine. And I know in this church, um, like I did not know Craig Wagner. I, I got to hear about Craig. I got to, in fact, when the committee came to our house for the first night, one of the first things they talked to us about was about Craig. And uh, I never got to meet Craig. I did get to come and be a part of his funeral. And one of the things, one of the takeaways from his memorial was that he lived that type of life as well. And that's not to say that Craig didn't have hard days. But as he walked, I believe he proved his faith to be genuine. We must rest in the fact that Christ is sufficient. This is what verses 8 and verses 9 are all about. Christ is the author and the finisher of our salvation. And we have the opportunity when we face sufferings to prove that the faith is genuine. And our faith, as described by the scriptures, is more precious than gold. The third way that God enables us to cope with difficult times is by giving us the hope of Christ's impending return, verses 10 through 12. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The prophets looked for the coming of the Messiah. And we have seen the coming of the Messiah. Though we have not seen him, we believe in him. And at the very beginning of this passage, if you notice, Peter pointed them again to the fact that Christ is returning. As the prophets in the Old Testament look towards the coming of Christ, we are also to look towards his return. Hence the cry of the church for two millennia, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. It is here in the hope of his return that we find hope. I once heard a professor from Southern Seminary tell the following story. There was a girl and she had, she, was, she had this boyfriend, and they were going to go on a date. They were in their 20s. And the boyfriend had said, hey, I'll pick you up at 3 o'clock, and I've got a wonderful day set up. Well, she's just so excited. She's, pick, she's spending hours picking out her dress and putting on her makeup and getting made up for a man. And uh, it hits 3 o'clock, and he's not there. And then it hits 3.15, and he's still not there, and she hasn't gotten a phone call. Click, 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 4 o'clock. Still not there, no phone call. 
and she's getting really just irritated. You know, she spent all this time getting dressed up, and he hasn't even bothered to call. Five o'clock rolls around, he pulls up, honks the horn, doesn't even bother to knock on the door, and she's just, okay, what's going on? And she walks out, she gets in the car, he doesn't get out of the car, doesn't open the door for her to get in. She gets in, and she goes, where have you been? Uh, I had some errands I had to run. Okay. Uh, what do you... And he says, well, what, do you, what do you want to do? Well, I guess we can go out to eat. Uh, yeah, we can go out to eat. I'll, t- I'll just take us over to the dad's restaurant. What? You're late, and you're going to take me out to your dad's restaurant where he's going to pay for the meal. Cheap. You're cheap. And then they go to the mill. He's not saying much the entire drive to the mill. And they sit down. She orders broccoli cheddar soup and she doesn't even touch it. They're not really talking. He's staring out in the space, and he says, uh, do you want to go to the, do you want to go to the beach? It's just, you know, a mile down the road. We can go to the beach, and she's thinking to herself, if I knew I was going to the beach, I would have put on different clothes. I would have worn, you know, I would have worn a sweater. I wouldn't have put all this time into what I've got on. So she's obviously irritated, right, and they head to the beach. Rewind. Take the story all the way back to the very beginning. You have the setup. They've got the date. It's planned. It hits 3 o'clock. And he's not there. The phone rings at 3.05. Ring, 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 ring. She answers, hello, thinking it's going to be her boyfriend. But it's her girlfriend. Hey, I just saw John at the mall. What? Why is he at the mall? Girl. He was looking at some rings. I think he's going to propose to you tonight. And, oh, yeah, he's got himself a diamond ring. Yep, 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 yep. You're getting a proposal tonight. You have fun. She hangs up. Now, does knowing the ending to her story change her whole attitude? Does she understand why he's not talking much? Does she understand why he's there late? Does she understand that he's so excited about proposing that he wants to take her to his dad's dinner? diner so that his parents get to see and does she now understand why she's going to the beach is she irritated when we focus upon the ending of our story when we know the reality of our story when we know how the story ends we can get through a lot of stuff i've heard dr price has said that at least three times up here since we've been here we have to focus on the way the story ends the first the fourth verse And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. God enables us to cope with difficult times through the hope of Christ's return. 
Now, Spafford's tale is, is one like many we find in Scripture and many we find throughout history. It's a cautionary tale because it doesn't end after the writing of it as well. Spafford wrote these words we have sung. His heart was filled with the truth and he knew where to turn. He started off in his grieving well. However, as time passed and his grief gave way to despondency, he began to be shaken in his faith and gave into the lies of the enemy. Years after, Spafford began to forget the truths of the hymn he penned. He moved from Orthodox Christianity and Orthodox Christian doctrine to a disbelief in the reality of hell. And instead, he turned to universalism, going so far as to believing that even Satan and all the demons in hell would be saved. How can we avoid this outcome in our own lives? You see, grief is not a one-time process. We have to be diligent. Dealing with trials and tribulations, we must continually be diligent. We must fight the desire to turn to our, our eyes inward, away from Christ, and instead focusing on our hurt and our suffering. 2 Corinthians 4.17 reads, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. John Piper, while preaching on this, said the following, Not only is all of your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain, from fallen nature or from fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you got cancer at 40, when a car careens onto a sidewalk and takes her out, don't say that this is meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths, all the ones you've heard in every message, and day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. We must focus upon the work of Christ and the praise that comes from that salvation. We must focus on the fact that we are being given the opportunity to show that our faith is genuine and not only when times are good. We must remember that this isn't the end of the story. We must remember the end to the story that Christ is triumphant, that this is the grand scheme of eternity or this is, that this is the grand scheme or eternity, a light momentary affliction and that we will be victorious because our king is victorious and the battle is his and his alone. The only way we can survive emotionally, spiritually, and mentally is by focusing upon our Christ, our Lord, and his supremacy and sufficiency. In the storm of life's trials, tribulations, griefs, and uncertainties, the only way we can swim is by focusing our eyes upon the Lord. When we begin to turn our focus inward, casting our eyes upon ourselves instead of Christ and our pain and our fear, we will begin to sink and drown under the crashing waves of the storm of life. And who would know this better than Peter? 
For when he was in the midst of the storm and he took his eyes off of the Lord, he began to sink and drown. But when he cast his eyes upon the Lord, he was lifted up. Christ, holding his hand, did not take him out of the storm, but led him across the water. May we always be able to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have given us a way, a way to deal with the suffering that we experience in this world, the trials and the tribulations that come our way. We thank you for the fact that we are not alone, but that we belong to you and that the work is not ours, but the work is totally and completely yours, that you are supreme, that you are sufficient, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, our mighty counselor, our friend, our Prince of peace. Then it is our heart's desire, Lord, that you enable us to turn to you day after day, not turning away from the faith, but turning our eyes towards you, to see you. Help us to be faithful servants who love you and cast our eyes upon you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We stand with